Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Hello and welcome to Season 2.0 of Interesting Questions. We're going to try something a little bit different. We made it all the way through the year of the Parshiot, and we're going to try uh, a little pure keavot, ethics of our fathers. And we're going to start by learning a particular Mishnah and have a conversation based on that Mishnah, and then we'll talk about some other topics that we believe are timely and or uh, interesting. So we're going to start with the very first Mishnah of Pirkei Avot, and for those who are not familiar with Pirkei Avot, or Ethics of Our Fathers, it is the last section of Mishnah Nezikin, the Mishnah that deals with judgments and damages, um, and it is suggested that it is put there specifically because it deals with ethical issues. So these are not issues of law, but rather issues of ethics, morals, and how we treat other people in the world. And so, interestingly, it starts off, Moshe kibel Torah mi Sinai. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. Umisara li Yoshua, and transmitted it to Yoshua. Fi Yoshua lizkenim, and Yoshua to the elders. Uzikenim linevim, and the elders to the prophets. Unevim masruha la And these prophets transmitted it to the people of the great assembly. Heim amru shloshad varim. They said three things. Hevu mitunim badin, be deliberate in judgment, vehaamidu tamidim harbei, and raise many disciples, vasu siyag Torah, and make a fence around the Torah. I thought about five different questions that I could, that we could talk about here, but I think the one that makes the most sense for us to talk about is that very last line. And make offense to the Torah. And so I'm going to pose to you, Akiva, to talk to us a little bit about the idea of boundaries, both in Torah and outside of Torah, and boundaries for ourselves, boundaries for the law, and how is that an ethical issue as opposed to a legal issue? I think that when we're talking about building a fence around the Torah, again, like you said, it's a boundary. And, you know, I actually think it's rather apropos that you're bringing this up right now, Avi, because we just concluded our season of Chagim, and, at least in the United States, and certainly in many places across the world, they are entering a season of holidays... And 
you know, in the U.S. in particular, I'll focus on that, but uh, forgive me, and please feel free to uh, send us an email about if you have any comments from other parts of the world. Uh, as far as the holidays that are coming up for uh, non-Jews, there's a lot of both completely secular and partially secular, which perhaps have some of their roots in other religious practices. And then, depending on who you ask how they practice, completely religious uh, holidays for other groups. And, um, Avi, I think it kind of opens up the idea for a great discussion about how we live in this world where what does that fence around the Torah look like when it comes to different people's practices and both being accepting, being wanting to become educated and learning about other cultures and other beliefs, which is definitely, I would argue, a necessity in this world uh, to function properly and to be able to be properly outspoken and involved. And at the same time, still knowing when to cross and draw that boundary that you're not going to cross where you say, I'm not going to do this because this is completely outside of something that works for me. So, Avi, let's... Uh, and, and, I, and I realize I didn't fully answer the question. At the same time, I think I kind of did by the idea of we'll talk about different settings where different pieces apply. And rather than go with the chronological order of the... U.S. holidays to come, I'd actually like to first start off with perhaps something that might be a little bit easier. So, and towards the end of November, we have Thanksgiving. And certainly, if, if one is an American Indian, Native American, they may in fact have very different feelings on the American celebration of Thanksgiving. That being said... I'm not aware of, and Avi, correct me if you know, uh, of any religious pieces to Thanksgiving in and of itself. Avi, do we have any uh, religious aspects to Thanksgiving, per se? Well, depend. No, Akiva, I am not aware of any secular or non-Jewish religious components to Thanksgiving. So I guess with that in mind, is there any reason to believe that from a Judaic standpoint, we should have any concerns about participating in Thanksgiving? Obviously, again, assuming the obvious, kosher food, whatnot. No, in fact, I would suggest quite the opposite, that uh, the story is told of Rav Soloveitchik that he would hold sheer at YU early that day so that people could go home and have Thanksgiving with their families and he too would go home and have Thanksgiving and uh, it may well be tied to the idea of hakarat hatov of giving thanks um, for those who have helped us in the past and the idea of spending time with family which is also always a mitzvah uh, especially if you're going to be with parents wonderful so I think that clarifies a little bit of that first level of maybe where do we not need a fence, right? So we've, we've established this is not something where we're potentially going to fall into, uh, let's say, assimilation, 
Let, let's use that because I think that may be in part what I think of when I think of the argument of building a fence for the Torah is to make sure we prevent any assimilation. Obviously other things as well. But then what about the seemingly innocuous um, but probably not for a multitude of reasons holiday that's uh, coming up tomorrow or depending on when you're listening to this October 31st that being Halloween which we know has a lot of different um, religious components to it not necessarily from a Christian standpoint, but certainly from other beliefs standpoints, and because I am not well-versed in those, I, I don't want to butcher them, but I do, you know, I think we can say that there are certainly different religious practices about Halloween. That being said, most of it in the U.S. involves kids dressing up in costumes and having candy and or terrorizing their neighborhood. So, Avi, where do we draw the line there from a from a Judaic standpoint? If if your kid wants to dress up and get candy, do we say you have to wait till Purim, or do we say it's okay? What would you say? So, for me, Halloween is quite problematic in the sense that there are a number of factors. One is that it is considered All Hallows Eve, at least in its traditional form, which was a religious connection, a religious holiday that it was not Jewish. Um, and second of all was that it was a time that was actually specifically used to terrorize Jews in a variety of different places because it was a time where people were dressed up and thought they could get away with it. And so there's a significant amount of anti-Semitism that used to happen in connection to Halloween. And I'm not just talking about egging people's houses or TPing their trees. I'm talking about uh, people losing their lives. That being said... I'm not sure that young children are ready or need to know all of that. Um, it's okay to tell them this isn't our holiday. And so we have a different holiday when we dress up. And so, yes, one option is to say, this is not what we do. You can wait until Purim, and then you get to dress up, and then you get candy, and that is our holiday. The alternative might be to find something in the middle, uh, I know a number of families that might let their child dress up within the house um, and hand out Halloween candy as part of being neighborly. Um, or they might let their child dress up in the house and hide candy around the house and, um, and, and find it that way um, just so that the child doesn't feel left out. I think a lot of that has to do with the age of the child and the setting in which the family lives. Because if the child is surrounded by this, then they may feel very left out, and that's something to take into consideration. Whereas on the other hand, if it is a neighborhood where this would be unusual, because most of the neighbors are Jewish, and this isn't something that would normally happen, I wouldn't suggest that it is a great time to introduce it to the neighborhood and take your child trick-or-treating. So I, I really like where you went with that because 
I think it kind of goes with the idea exactly of how sometimes that fence needs to be one that is flexible. Uh, it needs to be flexible based off of location, what's within the norm of where you are. And it needs to be flexible based off of age. And I will tell you that one group that I would throw out as another possible non-issue is the young adult. The young adult who is secure in their Yiddishkeit, let's say, and understands what they are and are not practicing. And if they have friends going out for a party in college, maybe they go out for a party. And I'm not talking about, obviously, all of the other pieces that might come, which includes um, how skimpy can we dress and still get away with being presumed to be wearing clothing, uh, any kind of other debauchery. I mean, you have friends going out, you realize that this is not a holiday you are practicing, you are simply going out with your friends. Is that something that could be argued as, again, fitting within the time course and location and community with which you are finding yourself? And I think sometimes we as, as adults get a little bit lost in the idea of certain age, you don't need an excuse to have a party, and if you have one, you go with it. So one could argue that that doesn't necessarily violate any practices. Avi, what are your thoughts on that? Again, so, being very clear, excluding debauchery and other kinds of things. Right. So, uh, and at the, on the other hand, on the flip side, I will say that I think there is a time when whether we call them children, young adults, are old enough to know that we can just have a conversation and say this isn't something we do. If you have high school-aged children, it's fair to say to them, we don't dress up, right? When you were six, seven, eight years old, we understood it was part of being part of the neighborhood. But at this point, you understand we are different. This isn't something we do, and therefore... You want to stay home and watch a movie tonight? Great. You want to be involved in, you know, some other fun activity tonight? Let's, let's figure that out. But you're not going out to, you know, carouse the neighborhood with your friends. Um, you're not getting dressed up. That isn't something that we do. And so I think that, that also knowing who you are and being secure in your Judaism is being willing to say, these are things we do not do. And when you can have that intellectual conversation with someone, because they've reached a certain age, then I think it's important to use that as a moment when learning can happen. So basically when they're 25 and their frontal lobes are completely working, this would be a conversation that might work. Um, and I agree also that a, a, a number of high school students, middle school age even, and, and also college age, there are the exceptions. I think there are people who certainly would find that completely works for them. Now, obviously, there's a majority of teenagers out there who feel like fitting in is really important. And, as we know... 
there are a number of universities that are known for having large Jewish populations, and then there's the other hundreds of universities that are around. So let's put on our... I'm curious to hear what you might have to say. You know, it's different in the setting you're in, right? So if you are in New York City, you might have plenty of stuff to do that is completely unrelated to anything, quite frankly. Um, You could even probably go to a shiur at your local YU. However, Avi, if you're in the middle of Indiana or Iowa, and perhaps you're at a university where there really is not a strong Jewish presence, certainly not a strong... uh, practicing Jewish presence. What do we tell those kids? So, first and foremost, we should have a conversation at another time and in another place about choosing colleges and universities and finding your community within them. Um, But I think there is a time where you have to make a decision about a line in the sand, right? Um, And while college isn't a great time to set those boundaries for a lot of people because it is a time when they are more likely to experiment, I was thinking more of kids who are living at home. So even if you're living at home, you're a high school student or a middle school student who's living at home with their parents, that is an opportunity for parents to educate their children about who they are and what we do and what we don't do. And so having that conversation when you live in St. Louis, Missouri, about we don't go out trick-or-treating is an educational component and one that I think long-term, just like some of the other difficult conversations we sometimes have to have with preteens and teens, may not be received well initially, but long-term helps them form part of their Jewish identity. All right, so Avi, I'm with you on the whole idea that uh, we should certainly talk about universities at another time. And I would also say that in the meantime, you know, we're kind of sitting in a little bit of an ivory tower where we can say this is what we're looking for. And I'm kind of asking more not just... And this might be where we have other organizations that you know, really kind of pride themselves in their ability to do effective Kiruv uh, at perhaps we have an opportunity for any Kiruv rabbis to uh, send us an email and perhaps be a guest in our podcast. Anyone at all, please feel free, because I think this is an opportunity to have their ideas involved in this, because this is a situation where there are a lot of kids who are looking for a place that they fit, And I think what we're seeing here and really what we're both getting at is how do we effectively build that fence and have our new disciples stay within that fence as opposed to feel excluded and outside that fence. Because I think what we run the risk of doing when we we make these ideas from this perspective is we may have people who find themselves outside of that fence thinking, I can't go in, and I don't want to go in, which would be worse than I can't go in. And I want to say that I think it's also perfectly normal 
when people want to test the fence, right? Especially students who are, or, or people who are high school age and college age, right? They, they want to see how strong is that fence? Does it really have to hold me in? Um, or can I be outside of the fence? How far can I be outside the fence and still be able to get back in? Um, and so those are normal uh, adolescent behaviors to engage in, understanding that that isn't the ideal, but it is normal. Couldn't have said it better myself, except um, Avi would actually tell you that is partly the ideal. Because when we talk about setting boundaries and that adolescent mind, exactly that's what happens. We want them to see where can I push boundaries. Right? I will often tell parents and children when I'm seeing them together, um, the child's job is to push boundaries. The parent's job is to set those boundaries. And if neither one is doing that, they're not doing their jobs. So our job as parents are to set these seemingly firm, immovable boundaries and then probably set a couple of fences out, you know, to make sure that we don't restrict our child's growth too much. And the child's job is to break through those boundaries as seemingly effectively as possible and then have consequences if they have successfully breached those boundaries so that they learn where the line gets drawn. So now that we've kind of, and I think very importantly, belabored the middle road, I'm going to go to the extreme. At the end of December, we have Christmas. And I think on the bare surface... I'm going to skirt the obvious and say both of us agree that we should not be celebrating Christmas um, in any way, shape, or form. And, and this is a big and, we may, as we grow in our lives, both personally but more so professionally, you know, some of us obviously don't work in Jewish education and in fact have had to deal with a variety of holiday parties, desires to not attend those holiday parties in any way, shape, or form, um, and yet at the same time not be perceived as being closed-minded or not receptive or not respectful, God forbid, of somebody else's desire and practicing. Um, and, and here's an argument. I mean, I would say I... During residency, I had people who I invited to come to my house for Shabbos dinner to see the beautiful thing that I was doing in my home. And I, of course, did not feel like I wanted to reciprocate by going, because again, I had that boundary where I was not going to go to a holiday party as long as I could avoid it. Um, so, so Avi, Let's talk about that. Where does that boundary lie? Because, again, here I am inviting someone else to see what it is that's so special for me so they can understand why they can't call me at a certain time. Um, and yet, seemingly, I'm not willing to give that same openness back. So I think that we have to differentiate between two different components. One is a holiday party, or even if we go so far as to call it a Christmas party, um, 
where there is no religious component engaged, right? It is a social event, and almost like you discussed in terms of the Halloween party, it is just a reason to have a party. And if there is a expectation, right, because most people are not the ones creating the holiday party, they're expected to attend, um, then fulfilling those social obligations may be a component of your work. Um, or at least a, a, if not a formal part, maybe an informal expectation of your work, right? You're expected to be social with your colleagues. You're expected to not just uh, um, interact with them on a, on a formal basis, but, in it, but be collegial with them as well. And so even showing up for a short period of time um, is, is considered a work expectation. Um, and in that case, I have less of an issue with it than even, say, something like trick-or-treating, um, especially as people have become more um, ecumenical and turned it more into a holiday party. Here's my question for the Shabbos table this week. What are the firm boundaries... And what are the fences that you put up for yourself, that you put up for your family, and how do you know if they are working or not? Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.